you would turn to Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, we pick up where we left off last week in verse 10. We're going to look at verses 10 through 21 this morning. And it's in this passage of Scripture that we begin to get some insights from Jesus on the kingdom. Jesus has a way of stirring everyone up to make a point, and He does that here in Luke chapter 13. He really causes a stir to make a point. And the point that He is trying to make, and that He does make, is that the kingdom has come. Stop waiting. The kingdom has come. In Luke, Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse number 10, we'll read through verse 21. Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse number 10. And he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double, could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you're freed from your sickness. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made erect again and began glorifying God. But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, began saying to the crowd in response, There are six days in which work should be done, so come during them and get healed, not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? And this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. So he was saying... What is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus makes a stir to make a point. And the point that he's making is the kingdom has come. Now this stir that he makes begins with, first of all, a release. It begins with a release in verses 11 through 13 as he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And there was a woman who for 18 years had had a sickness caused by a spirit. And she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. Now put yourself in this woman's shoes. She is bent, not bent over. We all know people who are bent over from poor posture, from back problems. But she's not just bent over. It says she's bent double, which gives the impression that she is completely bent down. She can't get around very well. And she's been this way for 18 years. Today she shows up at the synagogue. Lo and behold, this man that everyone is beginning to hear about is there to, to share the word in the synagogue. And it just so happens that today is her day of deliverance. You see, we need to notice that this was not a sickness that was caused by an accident. 
It wasn't like she was walking one day down the street and, and someone came through, one of the Roman soldiers came through pulling a chariot with his horse and ran her over in the street and crippled her and caused her to be bent over double. It's not like she was born with a birth defect and that caused her to be bent over double. Dr. Luke, who gives us this gospel, describes this sickness not as a physical sickness, but as a spiritual sickness that affected her physically. What does he say? He said that she had a sickness caused by a spirit. She had a sickness caused by a spirit, and she was bent double and could not straighten up at all. And it was not only Dr. Luke's diagnosis that this was a sickness caused by a spirit, but it was Jesus, the great physician himself, who also, who also described this sickness as one caused by a spirit. In verse number 16, we, we just read this woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years. This should cause us to wonder how much of our physical, mental, and emotional sickness is physical and how much of it is spiritual. Now we need to be careful because we can fall off of the horse on either side. We can fall off of the side of the horse that says everything has a medical explanation. Everything has a medical explanation. Everything has a pharmaceutical that can fix the medical issue at hand. Everything is explainable through science. And there's really no, no room for spiritual oppression or sickness. We can also fall off of the horse on the other side that says every time you get sick, it's the devil's fault. Or every time there's an, a, a, an issue, a deformity, a tragedy, it's the devil's fault. So we need to be careful that we don't fall off of the horse on either side, but we have to say what Jesus said, that at least some sicknesses, some of the time, can be spiritual in nature. And I think we miss something when we miss that. But notice where this woman, bound by Satan, is found. She's not found in the streets. She's not found in the sinful area of town. This woman, bound by Satan as she was, is found of all places in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And it just hit me as I'm, as I'm reading through this passage and I'm preparing for this message that a spirit, Satan himself, can bend this woman over double for 18 years. He can bind this woman for 18 years, but he cannot keep her from the synagogue, and he cannot keep her from Jesus. Let me tell you right now, Satan can do a lot of things, but he can't keep you from running to Jesus. He can convince you that you're not worthy of Jesus, and we're not. But he can convince you that you're so unworthy that you can't come to Jesus. He can convince you that you need to go take care of some things. Get some things in order first before you come to Jesus. And he can convince you to procrastinate. He can convince you that you need to clean up your life and put it off till tomorrow. But he can't keep you from the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ if you'll just come to him. 
He can convince you that Jesus won't receive you. He can convince you that Jesus could never forgive you for all that you've done. He can convince you that Jesus has given up on you, but he can't keep Jesus from saying, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And some of you this morning in this room across the street, maybe listening online, you need to stop letting Satan bind you from Jesus just because he's bound you in other ways. Don't let Satan bind you from Jesus just because he's got you bound in other ways. The Bible says in verse 12, when Jesus saw this woman, he called her over. And he said to her, woman, you are freed from your sickness. Now think about what happens here. Jesus saw her and he called her over and apparently she came to him, bent over as she was. And he said, be free from your sickness. You may feel bound, you may feel trapped, you may feel abandoned, you may feel hopeless this morning. You may feel like you need to get better first. This woman was bent over double. And the Bible says she could not straighten up at all. She could not straighten up at all, and neither can you. You can't straighten up your life. But Jesus can. And Jesus will. And Jesus desires to do that right now, this morning. He says, come to me. That's the way the Bible ends. The Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Bent over double, bound by Satan, come. And we have the promise that to as many as receive him to as many as believe in his name, he will give them the right to be called children of God. That's what the Bible says. Verse number 13 says, He laid his hands on her, and immediately, immediately, she was made erect again and began glorifying God. And listen, he can do the same thing for you today. He can touch you today and immediately, immediately give you peace with him immediately give you peace with God, immediately make you right with God. Doesn't mean you won't have problems. Doesn't mean you won't have areas that you need to correct in your life. Doesn't mean that He won't keep working on you to the day you die, because He will. But it means that today, before you leave this place, today, before you leave this room, you can be right with God if you will just come to Jesus. He he has done everything that needs to be done. He came to this earth and he checked every box that needs to be checked. They've already been checked. And he took every sin that you've ever committed and he has dealt with them. He has paid for them in full on the cross. There's nothing left to be done. There's nothing to be added to this sacrifice. It has already been done. What you need to do this morning is understand that, believe that, receive that by turning away from your own self-righteousness and religiosity and your own sinfulness and running to Jesus this morning in faith in what He's done for you on the cross. Find release this morning. Unbelievably, after the release, we see a rebuke. Look in verse 14. 
But the synagogue official, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. Now listen, this, this guy missed the fact that this woman's been bent over double for 18 years. He missed that she's standing erect and worshiping God. And he's indignant. That's a strong word. He's very angry because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath. And he turns his attention to the crowd. You know, here's the pastor. He gets up and he runs to the pulpit to try to hush the guy up here. Who might disagree with him. And he says, wait guys, now listen to me. Listen to me. There's six days in which work should be done. I'm quoting the scriptures here. Six days in which work should be done. So come during them to get healed. Not on the Sabbath day. All he saw was work being done. The letter of the law being violated. The letter of the law says in Exodus chapter 20, verses 9 through 10, Six days shall, you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant, or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. This is proof that you can quote Scripture perfectly and yet perfectly miss the point. With this rebuke. And Jesus doesn't let this slide. He gives a response in verses 15 and 16. We see his response. Verse 15, the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites. Does not each of you... He's talking to this, he's talking to this synagogue leader here. This religious leader. This scribe. The one who knows the scriptures. He says, you hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the stall and lead him away to water him? Well, well, I mean, of course we do, because if we didn't lead our ox and our donkey out of the stall on the Sabbath day to water him, that would be cruelty to animals. And after all, they might die. That would be a loss to me. In verse 16, this woman, a daughter of Abraham, as she is, whom Satan is bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bond on the Sabbath day? You guys are willing to do physical work on the Sabbath when it benefits your ox or your donkey. And yet criticize me when I do spiritual work on the Sabbath that benefits a human. We think it's a new thing that people get more upset over a mistreated puppy than abortion. Give our money to the people for the ethical treatment of animals and we treat our animals like they're people. And we look the other way at abortion and think, well, that's the politician's job. Well, they're doing a lousy job. Republicans, Democrats combined. Lousy job. We get all teary-eyed over the animals and turn a blind eye to the suffering of unborn children, children, orphans, widows. And we can go on down the line because humans, you know, they deserve it. The little puppy is innocent. Same difference. Well, I'm going to take my ox to drink. That'd be cruel. I'm going to take my 
donkey to drink, that would be cruel. You've got a woman, a human being, and a daughter of Abraham at that who's been bent over for 18 years, and you're going to raise a ruckus because now she's standing up and worshiping God, and he just shames them. And it's not the only time he's done this. Back in Matthew chapter 12, verses 11 and 12, he said to them, What man is there among you who has a sheep, and if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will he not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable then is a man than a sheep? So then it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. What better day to do spiritual work, good things, than on the Sabbath? What day is better to push Satan out just a little bit more? The religious leaders... We're too blind to understand the Scripture. But the lay people, the lay people weren't. Look at what happens in verse 17. There was rejoicing. I mean, can you just hear this crowd erupt? Jesus just did a miracle, rescued this woman's life, shut down the hypocritical, pompous, prideful, holier-than-thou religious leaders... And they're all rejoicing. Verse 17, as he said this, all his opponents were being humiliated. And the entire crowd was rejoicing over all the glorious things being done by him. Jesus has just absolutely shamed the religious leaders. He's humiliated them with his clear understanding of the spirit of the law, not just the letter of the law. The entire crowd is celebrating what he did for their fellow Israelite, their fellow Jew. And he's just fulfilling Psalm 132, 18. Psalm 132, 18 says, His enemies I will clothe with shame. But upon himself, his crown shall shine. But Jesus did not initiate this just to do a good deed. He didn't just do this to humiliate the synagogue officials. He didn't just do this to invigorate the Jewish lay people. He wanted to reveal something extremely important to them all. The kingdom of God had come. Which leads to the fifth and final longer than you might expect point. You're thinking, he's moving along pretty fast. We're going to be first to the buffet today. No. We still have number five. And number five has two sub points and an introduction, so... We see him revealing, revealing in verses 18 through 21, the reality that the kingdom has come. So he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It's like a mustard seed which a man took and threw into his own garden and it grew and became a tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Jesus takes this opportunity to reveal to the people the fact that the kingdom they had long been awaiting had finally come. The long-awaited kingdom had come, but it had not come in the way they had all expected it to come. They expected Him to come riding in on a white horse, throw Pilate off the throne, overthrow Caesar, kick Rome out of Jerusalem, set up His throne in the temple, and reign with a rod of iron. And save his people from oppression. They missed. What they missed was that the demonic powers around them were being shaken. 
and defeated, just like, they, just like it happened in the life of this woman. The demonic powers that had bound her for 18 years had been defeated. They had been shaken. The religious leaders were oblivious to this, but it was happening already in Luke chapter 10, which we've already seen months ago. In Luke chapter 10, we saw that Jesus had seen Satan and his demons falling like lightning before his disciples as they moved into new areas. Jesus knew that the serpent would be treaded down in city after city, among people group after people group, and his sting would be removed as the gospel went forth. In John chapter 12, in verse 31, Jesus said, Now judgment is upon this world. Now. Now judgment is upon this world. Not someday in the obscure future. But now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. The kingdom had come. Now I want you to stay with me just a minute. Well, the ruler of this world is not being cast out. Boy, it looks pretty bleak. Sometimes some places where we can see in our own little box. But I want you to think about this with me. When babies are born, I know this is uncomfortable, but just bear with me. When babies are born, are they born saved or are they born little sinners? Now, if you've never had a baby, you may not get this one right. But if you have had a baby, you know that they are all 100%, no matter how angelic and beautiful they may be. No matter how how innocent they may look. They're born little self-centered sinners. They are. That's why they don't care if you, mom, have had two and a half hours of sleep every night for the past two weeks. You think they care? They're going to scream in your ear, get up and come serve me. But I'm almost dead. I've had no sleep. We don't care. Feed me now. Burp me now. Change me now. Give me what I want now. Then they grow up a little bit and they get into the nursery. They get around other kids and they see a toy and they don't think stealing is wrong. I'm an innocent child. I shouldn't steal. No, they go over. They snatch the toy, pop the other kid, take it. (laughs) When you break them from that bottle, you break them from that pacifier, I'm going to tell you, there's a reason they're little. It's not just to make them cute. They're little and uncoordinated because if they were bigger and coordinated with the mind of a two-year-old, when you took the bottle away or the passy away, they would murder you. There would be no parents. Now, we laugh about it, but we know it's true. They're little sinners. And if they're born little sinners, that means that they need to be what? At some point, they need to be saved. So that means they're lost. Now, if they're lost, if they're lost, that means 100% of the people on planet Earth have at some point been lost, right? Every person on planet earth has at some point been lost. So we're starting with a 100% playing field. So what happens is at some point in the lives of some people, and it may be at 7 or 8, 17 or 18, 47, 77, it's irrelevant. At some point... God willing, by the grace of God, some people are snatched out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Some people are are moved from the power of Satan to the power of God. 
Some people are, are given forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in Him. And therefore, out of the 100% lost playing field, some people move from lost to saved. Now, once somebody moves from lost to saved, it is our conviction that once they move from lost to saved, there's no moving from saved to lost. Now, they may act saved, and it turned out later that they weren't really saved because now they're acting lost, and they've rejected Christ. But once people move from lostness to saved, born again, regenerate, they don't go back. So do you see what's happening here? Satan can only lose. Every time somebody comes to faith, whether they're 7, 17, 27, 47, or 77, or 107, every time someone comes to faith, Satan loses. And once he loses, he can't get them back. So all this guy does is lose. No wonder he's so angry. The kingdom of God always advances. It never reverses. It's not going backwards. It's not falling apart. Things are just going downhill. No, they're not. They're moving forward. And it may be moving a little slower here in the United States of America, but in China, it's moving pretty doggone rapid. In India, it's moving pretty rapidly. In Iran, it's moving pretty rapidly. Throughout the Middle East, it's beginning to pick up speed and move pretty rapidly. It's not our fault it moves slow here, but it's moving. It's advancing. Don't miss that. The kingdom of God is advancing. And the incident in the life of this woman was just another testimony to the fact that Satan is falling and the kingdom has come. They didn't recognize it. They didn't see that in the person of Jesus the kingdom was now, but it was. Now what is seen is not what always is. So Jesus tries to clarify with two parables that show how the kingdom of God advances on earth. And it's a dual advance. Watch this with me. He's showing them how the kingdom of God that has already come is advancing on earth, and it's a dual advance. First of all, it's an external advance. There's an external advance. Verse 18, he was saying, what is the kingdom of God like? You want to know what it's like? It's like this. Like a mustard seed, which a man took and threw into his own garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air nested in its branches. Now, the point Jesus is trying to communicate is that the kingdom visibly advances for all to see. Like that mustard seed that that sprouts, germinates, it grows, it breaks through the soil, it grows into a large plant for all to see. The kingdom of God advances for all to see as evangelism, discipling, and missions happens from here to the ends of the earth. Have you ever heard that before? And the birds roosting in the branches is not just a cute little addition Jesus threw in to the parable. The birds roosting in the branches are often a symbol of the nations. If you go back to Ezekiel chapter 17 and verse 23, listen to what Ezekiel 17 and verse 23 says. On the mountain height of Israel will I plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird. In the shade of its branches, birds of every sort will nest. This is what Jesus is looking back to as he gives this parable. The birds from all the nations of every kind 
represent people groups, people from all nations. We just sang about Revelation. Tom read from Revelation 7 where we saw that people from every nation, every tongue, and every tribe and every people group will praise Jesus around the throne. So listen, the kingdom of God is like a, a seed that is grown and it's grown and it draws birds of every kind to its branches where they build their nest. Literally, they set up their homes. So we're going to have people from every nation, every tongue, every tribe build their home under the shade of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Now, if we believe the Word, if we believe the truth of Scripture, we win. The kingdom externally advances. debating on whether I should say more. I've scribbled some things this morning. Should I use them or should I not? Some people hate all of you right now. (laughs) I want you to see there's, let me just, I'm going to show you because I can't help it. I'll regret it if I don't. Matthew 24, turn back there. This isn't on the screen, so just turn to Matthew 24 real quick. I'll make it snappy. But I want you to see there is no stopping the kingdom's external advance, okay? We get all wrapped up. We get all worked up when things don't look good on the outside. But we have a God who works all things together for good to those who love Him and those who are called according to His purpose. Listen, America, politics, governors... Presidents, dictators, kings, armies, they are not steering the course of history. Jesus is steering the course of history. And there is no way we can lose. Look at all that Satan throws at us in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse number 9. We see Satan throw at us, first of all, persecution. This is verses 9 and 10. They will deliver you to tribulation will kill you. You will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time, many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. So, so one thing Satan can throw at us is persecution. Another thing he can throw at us is found in verse 11, and it's deception. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. So we've got persecution, we've got deception, we've got guys standing in the pulpit wearing their suit and tie with their Bibles open, and they're lying. And tricking people, fooling people, deceiving people. The third thing he will throw at us is found in verses 12 and 13. Lawlessness and lovelessness. Lawlessness and lovelessness. He says in verse 12, Because lawlessness is increased, sinfulness, disregard to the law, because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So we've got Satan throwing persecution at us. We've got Satan throwing deception at us. We've got Satan throwing lawlessness and lovelessness at us. But look at verse number 14. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations. Then the end will come. He can throw what he wants to at us, but he won't stop the kingdom of God from externally advancing through all the nations. 
That was free. That was extra. The kingdom externally advances and we win. But it not only externally advances, we need to see this, that it also internally advances. And that's in verses 20 and 21 of Luke 13. His second parable shows us that the kingdom internally advances. He says again, he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Now, we may know enough about leaven even though half the society is gluten-free now, we may know enough about leaven that you stir it in to the, to the flour, and what happens? It permeates the flour, and it begins to swell, doesn't it? It begins to expand. It just permeates that dough. It, it goes throughout the dough, and it infiltrates every pore. And the parable here views the kingdom of God not in its external growth, but in its internal influence. A small quantity of leaven makes itself felt throughout a much larger mass. And so, with the kingdom. Christ's kingdom permeates not by politics, not by laws, not by lobbying, not by forcing agendas. No, hidden in the dough of society, it permeates and permeates and bubbles and bubbles under the power of the Spirit of God, transforming lives one at a time, transforming families one at a time, transforming churches and and apartment complexes and neighborhoods and communities and states and countries one at a time. It comes from inside. It comes quietly. It comes under the surface. The kingdom, listen carefully, the kingdom externally advances only as it internally advances. There's no shortcuts. We can't vote the right guy in office and think the kingdom's come. No, that's not how it works. We can't legislate enough morality that the kingdom comes. That's not how it works. It works like leaven. And the kingdom only will externally advance as it internally advances. And that's why we need to take our eyes off of the horizon and put them where we are and get serious about evangelism, discipling, and... What's the third one? Missions, thank you. Missions. One last scripture. That's not on the screen. It was brought to my attention this morning, 2 Timothy 2. Listen to what Paul gives as his instruction to his protege. 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is where we'll end. Verses 1 through 4. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Come up with a really big production and program to advance the gospel rapidly. Wait, sorry, I got lost for a minute. The things which you have heard from me, this is what he says, not not come up with a huge program, not try to advance the gospel rapidly, not try to get a bunch of notches in your belt so that you can brag about it on Instagram. But the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's it. You, you hear the truth from Paul. 
you entrust the truth to other men who are then equipped to tell other men. That's the leaven spreading in Timothy's congregation and community. And that's how the leaven spreads here. And look at what he goes on to say in verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's not a lot of hardship to fly in in first class, get off the plane, ride in the Uber car, walk out on the platform, speak at the conference, sign the books, sell some CDs, head back to the car, fly back home. That's what we glorify in the church. We chase big speakers with big names who can't preach as good as probably some guy at a crossroads in the country that we've never heard of. But we chase them because they got big names and they write books. And Paul says that's not the way the kingdom advances. It advances by you telling someone who tells someone, and that costs you. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. And then he says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. Another translation says, no soldier in active service entangles himself in civilian affairs so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. That's how the kingdom is going to advance. We've got to stop bothering ourselves over civilian matters. We've got to stop bothering ourselves over worldly affairs and get busy doing what Jesus has left us here to do. And no pandemic is going to stop that. No politician is going to stop that. No government is going to stop that. No army is going to stop that. No law is going to stop that. We are as free to evangelize and disciple and to do missions here as we would be in North Korea. It may not last as long in North Korea, but we're free. We're free to do what Jesus has left us here to do. And when we do what Jesus has left us here to do, the gospel, the kingdom, will internally advance in hearts and lives and families. And as it internally advances, it will externally advance until it gets to the last of the most difficult to reach peoples. And then Jesus will come. Are you part of that kingdom? Are you part of that kingdom? Are you living for that kingdom? Are you focusing on that kingdom? Are you being emboldened for that kingdom? The one that will never fall and fail. You may have come in here bent over this morning, bound by the devil in a hundred ways. Don't let him bind you from running to Jesus this morning. And being a part of the kingdom. And being a part of the kingdom advance that is guaranteed victory. Would you bow with me? With your heads bowed, Miss Lisa's going to begin to play before we sing. And I just want to pray with you and lead you in prayer for just a moment. As you look in the mirror Spiritually, as you look in the mirror, maybe you know, maybe you know that you've been putting off coming to Jesus. You've been putting it off till you get some things right. You've been putting it off till you straighten up. The devil's got you fooled into thinking Jesus would never forgive somebody like you. Jesus would never receive anybody like you. And he's got you bound. But the reality is he can bind you in a lot of ways, but he can't bind you from running to Jesus this morning. He can blind you. He can confuse you. He can guilt you. He can lie to you. He can deceive you. 
But it can't keep you from the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So maybe right now where you are, you need to pray, Lord Jesus, I come to you with all of my junk, with all of my issues, with all of my baggage. I'm not waiting any longer. Maybe you need to pray and ask Him to just forgive you, give you repentance, give you faith, help your unbelief. Whatever it is, don't leave this room fooled by Satan another moment. Come to Jesus. Right now, right where you are, come to Jesus. You're never going to be good enough and you're never going to be bad enough to not need to come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Become part of the kingdom. Come to the winning side. Now, if you're already part of the kingdom, let's stop getting distracted. Let's just stop getting distracted. And that probably means some of you just need to deactivate Facebook, Instagram, and all that stuff. Stop watching so much news. Stop reading so much news. Don't get tangled up. Don't get tangled up. You can be aware. You can be involved, but you don't get tangled up. In civilian matters, you've got a commander-in-chief, and his name is Jesus, and he's left us here to internally and externally advance his kingdom. Man, if we would all just get, get on board and get busy doing that in our own ways, in our own circles, we might just see awakening and revival. Would you pray and ask God to help you find your spot in the trenches? Evangelizing, discipling, and advancing the mission. Father, we thank you for your love, your grace, your mercy. We thank you for the power of Jesus to release and set free captives. And we know, we may not see it as often, as we would like, but we know you have the power to do that even now and to do a work. I pray that you would set people free here this morning, that they would glorify you before they leave this place. I pray that you would bring those of us who know you closer to you and help us to focus on what will last forever, the kingdom. Help us to invest our life in that. Stir us up, move us, challenge us, Help us today. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.